Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? But if you think about all the people in your life that oh, I don't dance, I don't dance. It's because we have this idea of what dancing should look like as opposed to what dancing feels like. It is delightful and joyous and it requires us to be open. And a lot of people struggle with that. You are in for a treat today. Kemi Nekvapil is like no other human I've ever met. She's wise, she's funny, she's incredibly insightful. And what I think I love most about Kemi is, like in all my dealings with her over the years, is that she pulls no punches and holds all of us accountable. Kemi has had a really unusual life and she shares many of her experiences and wisdom in a new book that is out right now. And I literally got a copy of it yesterday when I was at the airport, so I can't wait to get stuck into that. It's called Power and it's all about living and leading a life without apology, which I absolutely love. Kemi has a wealth of experience, including studying leadership and purpose at the GNH Center in Bhutan, which is all about the gross national happiness measurement of countries, which is just fascinating. Kemi also trained with one of my fave humans, Dr. Brene Brown, and is now a certified Dare to Lead facilitator. With a level of compassion and wisdom only gained through extraordinary life experience, Kemi is a powerful advocate for connected, value-based living and I always learn so much when we meet. Please enjoy this fascinating conversation with the awe-inspiring Kemi Nekvabel. Kemi, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you, Michelle. It is such a pleasure to be here, such a pleasure to hang out with you. Well, you're usually on this side of the mic, so uh, I feel very privileged and lucky and a little bit scared to be the one interviewing you because you're always interviewing these amazing names. So we'll get into that a little bit more. But if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? I wish that society would talk more about beauty and delight. Ooh, fabulous topic. I love this. So tell me more. Why are these areas that are so passionate to you? I think it's very easy. I remember talking to a very good friend. We'd been out for lunch and she said that one of her values was beauty, but she felt ashamed about that, that it seemed a really shallow thing of which to value. And I remember saying to her, oh my gosh, I said, I love beauty, you know, my own version of what that is. And I think beauty is very different and unique. And then when we look at this idea of delight, and they're different, beauty and delight are different. Beauty is something that we can create around us, but delight is a moment that happens. And, you know, in the world that we're in right now, in 2021, there is not necessarily a lot of delight around unless you are actively looking for it. So one of my mantras is sometimes I cannot wait for the delight of today and you can't plan for it. You know, you can't say, oh, me and some friends are going away for the weekend and we're going to you know, plan a moment of delight at Wednesday at 3.30. Delight comes in these brief, brief moments. And it's so important that we can inhale them and hold them for as long as we can, because once we've had that moment, life is going to be right there for us to step into. 
That's so beautiful. I've never really thought about it that way, but it kind of reminds me when you're talking about it of gratitude. It's sort of in that same sort of genre, I guess, in place. But like you say, you can't plan it. So how do we bring more delight into our world in your view? I think the only way to do it is to actually become stiller, you know, to actually be still. You might be able to still hear my English accent. I have been in Australia now for 17 years. I have to say I've never known myself as someone that finds delight in reptiles. But now that I have been here in Australia for a while, I have found myself getting quite attached to a blue tongue lizard. I named her Henrietta. Like I saw her and I just said, hello, Henrietta. And that became her name. She is about a foot long. She's a lizard. And every time I see her, you know, I'm out hanging out the washing or I'm in the garden and I just feel this moment of, wow, you came to hang out in our garden. Every year you come out into the warm and she just brings me this moment of delight. I don't know what gender Henrietta is. It doesn't matter. It's the feeling and how I have now appreciated her beauty as a reptile I just love when I see her, like I'm out in the garden. Oh, I wonder if Henrietta's going to come. I wonder if she's going to come. But I'm in that stillness. I'm not rushing around trying to do something. I don't see her in the moments where I'm, oh, I've got to get to a meeting. Oh, I've got to go and do that thing. It's when I'm just pottering in the garden, she will appear. And it feels like, as you say, that moment of gratitude of, oh, wow, I got to just see her today. And my son, who is 17, has exactly, he goes, mum, mum, Henrietta's out. You know, it doesn't matter what I'm doing. I will just go and we'll just look at her while she's there and then she's gone. A moment of delight. That's beautiful. What a gorgeous example. I had a little blue tongue lizard as a pet when I grew up. It was Lizzie, very original. At least Henrietta's a better name. (laughs) But poor Lizzie had her tail chopped off by that. Um, My dad was mowing the lawn and happened to run over and just got her tail. So then we sort of brought her back to health and looked after and she was my pet for many, many years. And then my parents said, it's actually, it's time you let her, you know, go into the wild again once she got well. And I remember bawling my eyes out. (laughs) with this kid but as you say just beautiful moments and those connections isn't it there's so much delight in connecting with people and I think that's what we've really missed as well over the you know the last couple of years of you know missing those really special moments with people that's something around being present I think what you just described then around being out in the garden being present what else can we do to you know, bring more delight into even not our own lives, but maybe other people's lives as well. Because we probably can not so much conjure that up a little bit, but we can probably assist to provide delightful moments for others. So actually one thing that happened for me during the pandemic, when the world was just crazy and upside down, we just didn't know what was going on. And, you know, as someone that does have a little bit of a profile and being a coach, I felt this kind of internal pressure. I need to somehow do something, like I need to say something. And then I realised, well, I don't know what to say because I don't know how to navigate a global pandemic and I'm in the middle of it too. And I just knew if I just keep doing what I do, which is being in nature and running and those sorts of things, it would reveal itself to me what I needed to do, what I needed to share, how I could contribute in such an uncertain and scary time. And I was running along where I live here in Melbourne, beautiful sort of creek area. And suddenly there was this one sunflower. Actually, there was a row of sunflowers, but there was one sunflower and the sun hit it in such a way that it just stopped me in my tracks. And I remember inhaling and just saying to myself, what a delight. 
And in that moment, I knew that's what I want to contribute. And so my way of sharing Delight through 2020 was to create a kind of Instagram project, which was called the Delight Diaries. And I shared a moment of delight that I had every single day. And I asked people to share their moment of delight. And then I would repost them. And then they would repost them. So then we just kept compounding this experience of delight. And what was interesting, as you say, it kind of wasn't necessarily about how we were with other people. It was more people going for a walk and seeing a particular colour in a leaf. It was people dancing, making dinner while eating watermelon, you know. It was people seeing the way that the light suddenly hit their bedroom window that they'd never managed to see before because they were up and out, you know, going to work or, you know, touching a piece of paper that was a beautiful handmade piece of paper that that brought them delight in that moment. I think one of the ways that we can share delight with each other that that isn't really like an active, I will now go and share delight, that doesn't feel delightful, but it is to share those moments of delight, to be able to bring it into our vocabulary. I had a moment of delight today, or I saw the most beautiful thing today. I saw, you know, an elderly gentleman helping his, his wife or his partner onto the tram. It just made me feel that there's so much beauty in the world. I think we can access fear and pain and ugly at the press of a button. And we have to be willing to know that that's no more powerful than actually accessing beauty and delight at the press of a button as well. And that actually as humans, we need that, that we do need art and we do need music and we need all forms of beauty to balance out what we know humanity can bring, but also humanity can bring the the complete opposite as well. Yeah, definitely. It reminds me, just you talking about that there, last year I did a um, May Moments of Joy. So a similar little exercise because May is a really shitty month for me. Both my parents died in in May over, you know, a period difference of 10 years and just lots of horrible things. So I never look forward to May every year. And I thought I'm going to reframe it this year. We're in the height of COVID. So I couldn't have, you know, even compounded even worse. And I started this little May Moments of Joy. So every day I thought I'm going to make myself appreciate something different from a different lens and look at it a little bit differently and like you say little little post on it and it was actually really good it was a good way to do that and remind myself that whilst there's so many you know sad memories there are so many beautiful things that I can focus on instead and you know reframe it a little bit and feel a bit better about it on a daily basis which was lovely so I think you do have that power to change that yourself don't you I think you do and I think it's interesting you sort of use that word you know to make yourself but then you said that I'm going to appreciate and I think we need to be careful I think we live in such a, a striving culture and even me as a coach you know it can be assumed that the way that I coach is we must go for the goal at any cost that's not how I work at all. (laughs) For me, as someone that's had, you know, 25 years of yoga and meditation practice, that is not in any way that I want to create space for people. I think that, yes, it's important to have goals, but actually the journey, it sounds like a cliche, but I believe cliches are true for a reason, that it is the journey and it is who we become on the way to the goal, whether or not we achieve the goal, but sometimes the magic comes in who we become on the way. Even this idea of delight, I would hate for anyone listening to think, I must go and find delight today. What it is, is just being still enough to just be able to see it when it comes, because it is all around us and beauty is all around us. It's just being able to be present to it. Yeah, I would hate for anyone to go, my goal today is to find the light, because that's like positive thinking. It's like in Victoria, you know, being the most locked down city in the world, there were dark days. And, you know, for some of us in our different ways, we are still recovering from that as we reemerge into the world. 
And there were some dark days and I didn't wake up thinking I must be delightful today or I must be grateful. I just knew that if I took myself out for a walk, it's kind of get up and go out. And I just knew that somewhere there, there would be a moment of delight. It would be observing somebody else laughing, you know, with another person, or it would be a flower in a garden. But, you know, being in my house, maybe, you know, staying in my bed was not going to bring it to me. But just being open to it's around me, am I able to see it? And I think it's that reframe of not but, it's and. It's today is a dark day and I experienced delight. Today is a dark day and I can see beauty. Not but I must find beauty or I must be grateful or I must find delight. Yeah, no, that's a it's a very good point, Kemi. And I remember through all the height of COVID when I'd see your little updates and you're just encouraging a lot of other Melbourneites, just get outside. It made there's a beautiful one with you pouring with rain. <laughs> I remember seeing you. And you were, you were bucketing, you're like, it doesn't matter. It's beautiful. Get out in the rain. I was like, oh, that's so precious. And then the other one I loved as well that you did was your local coffee shop when you just wore wigs. Yeah, that was a moment of delight. I went to, and this is, you know, you're saying that delight every single day. And I have never really been an avid coffee drinker. That definitely changed in lockdown, partly because I wanted to support my local cafe where I used to love writing. And also, to be honest, that extra hit kind of helped in the lockdown. And one, I think one day in the week, I was chatting to some of the baristas and they they were playing a particular music that reminded me of my clubbing days back in London, you know, 20 or so years ago. And I said, oh my goodness, I said, this feels like, you know, I'm back in heaven, which is a club in London. Dance is amazing. And they said, oh, why don't you come in on Friday and we'll put on some more of this music. And I said, okay. And they said, why don't you dress up? And I said, you think that you just made that as a throwaway comment? I said, I will not only be here dressed up, ready to club on Friday morning at 8am, I will be here with people, like only three people. And we did, my husband and I and our youngest, we got dressed up And we went and we danced in the cafe, only three of us and the baristas were dancing and then there were three of us that were dancing. And it was a moment of delight and fun. And we created that moment because we all needed it. It just uplifted us in that moment. I understand you studied in Bhutan and it's a place I haven't yet got to. I've traveled all around Nepal. I've trekked the Himalayas and I've had some amazing experiences there, but I've not been to Bhutan. I would love to learn and hear more about that experience because I imagine that would have been full of delight as well. It was. And, you know, to be in a country that measures the happiness of the people of which it serves, the only one undelightful thing is kind of the plane journey into Bhutan. The plane has to, it feels like it does a 180 degree turn, you know, so that it is vertical so that it can get through a particular crevice. That bit was not delightful. Landing was more delightful. It was a beautiful experience. So I studied leadership at the Gross National Happiness Centre in Bhutan. And it was, it was just looking at this idea. And and it's interesting as well, because, you know, even happiness is a whole other podcast and in some ways a whole other subject, especially when you're kind of looking at it on a global scale and looking at how do you serve a people within a country. But one thing that was present in Bhutan, which I think is within that culture, though, once again, is this kind of stillness, you know, that it's it's very it's a very simple grounded life and even within the center that is a global international center where people from all over the world are looking at leadership there were moments of pause and exhale and breath and recovery and rest so that you could be present to the environment and the beauty that was around you and it is something you know someone um, as a coach that works with leaders and also facilitates around leadership that is something that people can bring into their leadership and one of the messages i got from the delight diaries was a few organizations that said We've now brought this into our Zoom meetings. We are asking our team members, you know, how are you going? 
what are your challenges, but also what has been your moment of delight today? So once again, allowing the challenge to be there, but also can you acknowledge something else as well? And so even this concept of leadership, how do we bring the light and beauty into leadership in a way that allows us all to show up more as humans at work? Amazing. You do lots of different work. Like, so you have your own podcast, which is called The Shift Series, and it's a short, sharp kind of podcast that really kind of challenge your thinking on stuff. I love it. It's my kind of style. And then you do a lot of facilitating as well. So I understand you're a trained certifier in the Dare to Lead program with Dr. Brene Brown and also a facilitator for The Hunger Project. I mean, two incredible organizations that you're a part of. What motivates you and excites you and what what do you get out of those experiences? Because you're obviously making an impact on so many other people, but what do you get from that? It's interesting, isn't it? Because you just said I do a lot of facilitating. Do you know what? I actually don't because that's not delightful for me. I am very, very intentional around where I spend my time and the organisations that I choose to work with. And Brene's work, you know, I read Dare to Lead when she released that book on the plane on the way to Uganda to facilitate for the Hunger Project with 20 Australian business owners. And reading that book just confirmed for me what leadership is looking like into the future. And it allowed me to own my own style of leadership. And then through that time in Uganda, it allowed for all of those leaders to really step into what leadership looks like for them. It is such a joy to be part of those two different cohorts. You know, one of the things that links both of them is that our humanity is what has to be top of mind. You know, within Dare to Lead, it's looking at these concepts around bravery and building trust and shame and vulnerability, which we all hold as human beings. And then within the Hunger Project work, we're looking at what does it look like to be a leader in a village and how do those of us that have all of our basic needs met meet with people in rural villages as equals? How can we collaborate? So it's not even that idea of we are going to learn from them and take from them. It's what are the resources they have that we don't And what are the resources that we have that they don't? And how do we meet as equals so that we can all show up as equal humans and contribute what we have to contribute into the world? And within that framework of the Dare to Lead work, it makes it so easy for everyone to look at how individually we can contribute to the world, but then how as a collective we can contribute meaningful work. Oh, beautiful. It's almost like a privilege to be able to, one, be part of that, but you know, for you to help people to rise to those challenges and be better. You're essentially helping people to be better humans, aren't you? Not just better leaders. While at the same time doing my own continual work to be a better human, because that is a thing when you're working in the coaching space and the personal development space, it is unrealistic to believe that you can hold a space for other people if you're not experiencing that space for yourself. You know, that I can have moments of delight with my coach and moments of breakthrough and aha moments and insights while, you know, at the same time creating that space for my clients. It is a privilege. It's a word I use all the time. It is a privilege to be able to create a space where people feel safe enough to show up, which is delightful. Because I remember when I first read Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, she puts in a quote by someone called Jack Gilbert, not a relative of hers. And he says, we must risk delight. And delight is vulnerable because once again, you have to be still, you know, you can't be busy, busy, busy doing lots of things. If there is a vulnerability around allowing yourself to feel an emotion that can actually overtake you. 
And I think it's why in some ways we don't feel necessarily comfortable with it. It can feel so overtaking. It can feel so all-encompassing that we kind of want to shut it down, that we want it, the cynic comes in straight away to kind of cut it down like, oh, well, you know, he's helping her now, but she might trip up later or, you know, whatever version of that is, you know, or that flower is stunning, but it's going to die soon. So what's the point? But delight is a very, very vulnerable moment. It's it's it actually, do you know what I've just suddenly thought? I've just thought about dancing. Some people say, oh, I don't dance. I'm not a dance because dancing is vulnerable. And I remember when we went to the training, Brene kind of took us through because we did the training, you know, as facilitators training in the work, we did the training ourselves. And she kind of took us through levels of vulnerability and I can't remember what the first one was, but then it went to dancing and then it went to singing, you know, because to sing with a group of people, incredibly vulnerable. It's why my good friend Claire Bowditch does her sort of open singing workshops because people just being able to use their voice and how vulnerable that is. But if you think about all the people in your life, that oh, I don't dance, I don't dance. It's because we have this idea of what dancing should look like as opposed to what dancing feels like. It is delightful and joyous and it requires us to be open. And a lot of people struggle with that. Yeah, so true. God, you just keep tapping into all my vulnerabilities. Oh, really? Dancing I have no issue with. I (laughs) dance around everywhere. I think, you know, I was a gymnast as a kid and that's what I don't care. I know I'm not very good at it. But funnily enough, a good friend of yours and mine, Tina and I, we've both got a Peloton bike and we decided to do the cardio version of the Peloton last weekend where we did the dancing together to like Beyonce. It was tragic. It was so tragic. But gee, we had fun and we sweated. Yeah. (laughs) She goes, I can't dance. I said, neither can I. I said, as long as you don't laugh at me, I don't care. It's about (laughs) moving our body, right? But I think that's the thing as well is that you can't have judgment and delight in the same space. Like they can't exist. They just can't exist. You've got to just be in it and you don't have the space to be judging yourself or judging somebody else. I had it actually the other day. My family came together in Melbourne. Luckily, my husband's family all live in Melbourne and we met together for the first time, you know, in however long it's been. And I took myself off to the bathroom and suddenly I just heard everyone laugh. And in that moment, the delight I felt actually brought me to tears. I was just like, oh, we're together. But then that moment was over, you know. So I wouldn't say that the rest of the gathering was, oh, the whole thing was delightful. But that moment, it was just that moment. And as I came out, I said, I said, oh, I just had a moment then of just pure delight that we're all together. And my sister-in-law said, I felt that moment too. I felt it too. It's just that acknowledgement that we have these moments, but we do have to stop and acknowledge what they are. That was a moment. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. So talking about stopping and acknowledging, you've had a rough time through COVID and, and through the lockdown as many other Melbourneites, but you didn't um, rest on your laurels. You decided to write book three. What was the reasoning behind the book that's about to launch? And it just talk me through that because you're a woman that has a lot going on, but you, as you said, you're very intentional about what you do. Where did this come from and the desire to do book three? Well, you know, as an author as well, that I don't know, they just circle around you, don't they? Books. And when I wrote my first book, Raw Beauty, I once I'd finished that book, I thought, oh, I love this. I love this whole process. I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. And then I wrote The Gift of Asking. And then I just knew the third book was coming, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be about, but it was there. And I was talking with a good friend of mine, an author friend, and she sort of shared with me, I love it when you share your stories, like your personal stories, the experiences that you've had. And that sort of lit something in me. And I thought, oh, I'll just start sort of collecting some stories. And as I was collecting these stories, there was a theme around there. And that theme was around power, or for me, more around powerlessness. 
as a black woman who is always navigating white spaces, as a black woman that was fostered to white families from the age of two weeks until I was 13 years old, my experience in the world was one of powerlessness, my internal experience and also what I was told. And so I realized, oh my gosh. And then I realized with this book, oh wow. And there's a lot around race and a lot around gender. So then once I had that kind of lens, that kind of had certain stories and certain experience, experiences come to mind. One where I had lost power and ones where I had stood in my power and what that looked like. And then because I've been working with women within leadership and entrepreneurs and women with all different industries, looking at the experiences of power for my clients and where they mirrored mine and where they were different in terms of cultural background, in terms of gender, in terms of age, in terms of the industries that they worked in. And suddenly I saw, wow, as women right now, We have opportunities that our mothers and our grandmothers and our great-grandmothers never had. And yet, as women, we can still navigate the world feeling powerless in situations that we find ourselves in. So I wanted to write this book as a kind of a new way of looking at, at power, shaping a new paradigm for power and not calling it soft power or personal power, but just power. And I work on the Oxford definition of that, which is that power is the ability to act or to do something in a particular way. That's all it is. And yet we've been given a model of power where people have done and acted in a particular way that hasn't resonated with many of us, or that it's given us the idea that we don't get to act or create something or make an impact in a particular way. So the book is my story, my client stories, and then coaching processes all the way through. And then obviously I'm a coach, so always looking at moving forward and looking at progress. The last part of the book is all about how do we as individuals and as a collective of women build our power for ourselves and with and for each other. Amazing. I cannot wait to read it. It sounds fabulous. <laughs> but also I've only heard, I've known you for a few years, and I've only heard a snapshot of some of your stories. So like your friend there, I would just love to read that and hear more. And I did like your start there when you're saying about books kind of just circle around you. Unlike yourself, I never want to do the experience again, even though I've got the book circling. I didn't, I don't, enjoy, I'm not a writer. Like you talked about Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic. So do you remember when she talks about the poet? that used to run across the field and the poem would come through her. I reckon that's what happened to me because like the stories were always there and swelling, but I had no real desire to write and then it just kind of happened. And then people will read Bix back to me and I'll go, did I really write that? I don't even remember that chapter. (laughs) It's fascinating. I think that's what it is like sometimes that you read it back and there is, it's kind of like a divine download and you're just writing like, did I write that? And then there are other moments you're like, oh, did I write that? Um, (laughs) You know, it can be, it's a mix between the two and that's part of the process. I love that process. And for me, I'm really clear that I write to be useful, that, you know, the tagline for the book is a, a woman's guide to live and lead without apology. If a woman just reads that book and thinks, I don't have to apologize anymore. I don't have to apologize to my parents, I don't have to apologize for my weight, or I don't have to apologize because I have ambition, or I don't have to apologize because of the color of my skin, I don't have to apologize for my age. Just if there's one part in that book that is useful for a woman to go, I'm allowed to stand in the world and contribute what I have to contribute without apology, 
I believe that's been useful and that is my aim, to be useful. Oh, stunning. Yeah, I can't wait. So that will be out in the coming weeks and we'll have a reference to that in the show notes. But I want to come full circle. You started with a friend talking about her being embarrassed about being beautiful and I think, you know, you've just given permission there. You you don't want women to apologise for feeling beautiful or for wanting to feel beautiful. So what is your definition of beauty? I'm actually, I'm going to show you, I know it's a podcast, but I can describe this. So yes, I wrote my book through lockdown. I started in 2019. So it's been like two and a half years now, but I also took on becoming a flower farmer. So I want to show you my beautiful Noel Sutton sweet peas that have a stunning fragrance. So this is my oh, first harvest of sweet peas. They are a mix of lilacs and purples and whites and frills. And I am just loving sweet peas because you just keep cutting them and they keep on growing. And do you know what? Gardening is beauty and delight because I've been gardening from a very young age. And every time something germinates, it's a moment of delight and beauty. And then the other one I'm going to share you is this rose called Dream Chaser. I don't even like pink, Michelle, but for those listening, it is kind of a bright fuchsia pink with multi-petals. I am a big fan of David Austin roses. And so my plan over the next few years is to, yeah, just step into becoming a micro-organic flower farmer. This year is all about experimenting and failing and delight in flowers and working out, do I like that? Do I not like that? And so with the kind of, you know, some of those stories in the book are heavy and it's big topics around patriarchy and racism and all of those things. So at the same time, though, I was growing flowers. And for me, it just allowed me to have these bursts of delight within that writing process. Oh, absolutely divine. Your flowers are gorgeous. I, I'm a big fan of roses. Flowers are the ultimate beauty and I have them on my desk. That was kind of one of my mental health things that I needed through lockdown. If you'd have seen my desk, I was ordering from florists every week a ridiculous amount of flowers because I just knew they had to be there. And it's interesting as well just to talk about beauty and change and progress I had about three weeks during this last lockdown where every day just felt like Groundhog Day. Like it was hard to show up. I felt very blessed and privileged that I could show up for my clients, but it was hard. And I remember one day being in the garden and I suddenly saw the cherry blossoms were coming out and I had this moment of, oh, it's going to change. Like actually spring is coming. This is a season. This lockdown, even though it is unending and it just keeps on going it feels like it is it is going to change and that was a moment of delight that allowed me to step into the future because I saw beauty and that you know I thought these blossoms are going to die but right now this is what it looks like so that was a moment of delight and a moment of beauty that kind of made me realize oh it's going to change and it was a complete physiological shift and a mind shift that I then started sharing and I shared a post around that and so many people responded they just responded I had that moment, I saw the blossom and I had that intake of breath of things are going to change. It's going to be okay. It's going to be beauty again. I can create beauty again. And so once again, when we share that delight and beauty with others, it allows them to acknowledge that for themselves. Oh, just fantastic. Kemi, I'm going to finish with my ode to you. You are a beautiful human. I feel very lucky that you are in my orbit and uh, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you today. <laughs> Thank you for being on the podcast and sharing all your wonderful words of wisdom. It's pretty profound. Some of that stuff, they're so simple and you just say them so fleetingly and fly away, but they have real resonance. So I really appreciate all you do and it's been lovely to chat to you. Thank you. Oh, 
Well, well, thank you so much. And thank you for this beautiful podcast. I love how you've created it. I love that you give your guests this space. I've never really spoken about beauty and delight in this way. So to be able to just, you know, riff off of your dulcet tones has been an absolute delight for me. So thank you, Michelle. I hope to see you soon. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.